Welcome to the next edition of our Work Healthy podcast. I'm John Ryan and for today's podcast we travel to London to meet a person who has been ranked number one on the latest Thinkers 50 rankings of the world's most influential management thinkers. She is the Novartis Professor of Leadership and Management at the Harvard Business School, the author of seven books including The Fearless Organization which uncovers the critical concept of psychological safety as the bedrock of successful companies in the new world of work. I'm of course talking about Amy Edmondson. We discuss her latest book, The Right Kind of Wrong, where she encourages us to think in a more nuanced way about failure and how psychological safety and how we talk and think about failure are important to create an intelligent organization. She explains how her first major research study threw up a result that seemed to be the exact opposite of her hypothesis, that better teams make less mistakes, whereas the data clearly showed the teams with high psychological safety seemed to make more mistakes. But the truth, as she'll explain, was that those teams were willing to declare their mistakes and failings because their culture was supportive and conducive to learning from mistakes and failures. I started the interview by calling to mind a quote from another wonderful thinker, Dolly Parton. I'm always taken by a quote that um, Dolly Parton made oh, uh, yeah. when she said, um, the only problem with having a hit record is that you have to be willing to sing it every day for the rest of your oh. life. <laughs> I, oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. I just think with psychological safety and, and what many people know you for, <laughs> right. is there a touch of that? Is there? You know, there is. And and I have to say, I'm more, I, I will find myself thinking, oh, I don't want to <laughs> have to talk about that again. I'm a broken record, which of course that, that ages me, right? Because you're not. Yeah. The young don't even know what a record is. <laughs> But, but then I, all, I, I nearly always find the following when I'm in it, mm. right? when I'm now mm. in the midst of talking, especially to a live group, yeah. all sense of repetition goes away. Yeah. Like I'm just there yeah. and it's, it's, it's the first time. Yeah. Now, I'm sure you've loads of books and the like, but you know, this is like a, a difficult uh-uh. second album. This is, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, this is a unique book. For me, first of all, it's my first trade book, meaning my first book for a for everybody. Okay, okay, <laughs> I mean, okay. That, that sounds a bit much, but my first book for a general audience. Mm-hmm. I, I I hope that you know parents of young children or teenage children will read this book. Yeah. I hope that people who are you know just starting out in their careers will read this book, as opposed to my prior books have been largely written, well, first the first books for academics, yeah. and then the later books for managers and coaches mm. and, and organization, organization development yeah, yeah, consultants, yeah. fearless organization and teaming. Um, this book is, is for all of us in our lives and in our jobs. Yeah. So it's, new, it's a new adventure. Yeah. So in t- that I sense, t- it's it, special. It's funny, actually, because I was telling my daughter, I've got two daughters and um, one son, but I was telling my daughter, whose name is also Amy. Oh. Uh, and Great she's uh, doing a, um, a business degree in, in University College Dublin. I was saying to her, I'm going to interview Amy Edmonds. And she said, oh, wow. And I said, I'm going to interview her about a four letter word <laughs> that starts with F. <laughs> and that is completely sociably unacceptable. She <laughs> says, said, it's really? fail. Yeah. Fail is the word, yeah. right? Did she laugh? <laughs> she did. She did. But I, I'm just interested in today, that, that piece about the, the, the fact that it's not sociably right. acceptable to fail. Right. 
Is that the biggest problem? Yes, although it's 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 social and emotional and cognitive all work together. They're all tied up in knots. So it's it's maybe another maybe a better clearer way to say this is we are risk averse yeah. for good reason, right? Yeah. I mean we we learned and overlearned our risk aversion. Mm. There's a little touch, you know, when I hear you speaking, um, that there's this kind of uh, yeah, we've all got to fail and all that, but but. That's kind of like a really sort of non-sophisticated way of right. looking at what you're talking right. about. That's happy talk. Yeah. And it is, it's non-sophisticated is exactly right. And it's also, um, it's, it's, it's foolhardy. You cannot, no one would really subscribe to the idea that I should just fail all day. Yeah. Right? yeah. But if I clarified that and um, contextualized it is you are now in a you know scientific laboratory mm -hmm. and you're trying to discover uh, how messenger RNA unfolds so that you can create life-saving therapeutics and guess what you will probably not be able to make much of a discovery mm -hmm. if you're not comfortable with the fact that most of your experiments will fail mm -hmm. oh okay I got it right it still isn't fun but I can absolutely understand why you're suggesting this might be part of the path. And this shift to sort of saying, actually, let's reframe mm -hmm. and let's see that this is experimentation, really. Yes, yes. So it was never yeah. going to be a I failure mean, in the first nobody place. Wants, nobody sets out to fail. Mm. If you do, then that's mischief or sabotage. You're setting out to learn. You're setting out to make a contribution. And so, and, and in many realms, the only way to do that is to be willing to experiment. And an experiment is an action with an uncertain outcome. So, yep, I'm going to experiment. Gosh, do I hope I'm right. Yeah. You know, I sure hope my experiment, I always want my experiments to succeed. Yeah. But the very nature of an, of an experiment is that some of them will fail. Yeah. And it was funny, even, even the first story you told in the book, which yeah. is actually about your own survey. And my own like, failure. And you're kind yeah. of sitting there kind of going, oh no. Right. <laughs> I thought you were right. going to, actually inside, I thought you were going to say, well, should I be creative and fake these results? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That but would, you obviously didn't would do that. not have been an appropriate <laughs> no. thing to say nowadays. But um, but yeah, I, there is, I don't remember um, having that thought, but I, I could have had it. Like, <laughs> yeah. But the problem was, you know, if it were just, most failures in, in social science anyway, they the hypothesis um is is wrong or it, it fails just by not reaching significance sure. so it's in the right direction and people will report oh it's a trend it, you know it's almost significant but it's not so it's not but, okay so but you, this you... wasn't a case of a result that was almost significant mm. you know that it didn't quite reach significance this was a result that was 180 <laughs> degrees off yeah. right? it was significant but yeah. in the wrong direction yeah and that was scary for you because yeah, everything was, was going it was scary <laughs> it was puzzling yeah. it was like you know I, I must first of course i spent at least an hour you know going back through the program to figure out where i'd done something wrong mm. but unfortunately i hadn't you know, I hadn't entered the data wrong or entered the uh, statistical commands wrong. Yeah. So. And we talk about the emotion. Yeah. Because I think this is, this yeah. is I, somewhere else in the book you mentioned, and I know this maybe isn't related to this, but it, it talks about that horrible warm feeling or something that yeah, you get when you've just made a mistake. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, no. and you, yeah, and you almost instinctively look around to see if anybody, <laughs> did anyone see you make it? Because maybe I can pretend I didn't make it, yeah. you know. 
Um, no, I had in I, you know I I I I describe several of my failures in in the book, um, not too many because it's not a book about me. But I, I describe this research failure, um, which of course, like all good research failures, ultimately allowed me to pivot onto a slightly different question, which was a much more interesting, interesting. question yeah. in the long life changing run. for yeah, you, yeah, life changing for me indeed, career changing, um, and. Um, but but I, I didn't want people to think, no, Amy fails, but only intelligently, right? So that's not fair. So I describe um, it, it, at least one other failure where I'm hit on the head by a boom in, you know, in, a, in a sailboat yeah. um, race, essentially, down, yeah. downwind. And it was completely my error, you know, my mm. lack of vigilance, my, my looking away in a very dangerous situation. Yeah. And I, no one to blame for that but me. Um, and and I felt incredibly ashamed and guilty, and I, you know, and I, I, I thought I, I just never should have been doing this. And then it's like later I thought, no, you made a mistake. It's it happens. It happens, right? It's mm -hmm. it's it. The mistake wasn't signing up for something hard or challenging, you know. In the sense, you made a mistake that led to a bad outcome. Dust yourself off. Get but over it. the easiest way to not make mistakes is to do nothing. Right, exactly. You know what I mean? So do the nothing, fact that you were out there. Nothing risky, nothing hard. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And you were doing it and you were living right. life. Right. And doing right. something you Trying love. Trying to do yeah. something kind of. So, so yeah. it is, I think the art of this is to disconnect the emotional aspect uh, from the cognitive and sort of rational aspect yeah. of this. It is. It is. And that's, uh, I think that's a component of wisdom. I think that's a component of maturity, mm. that, that ability to um, stop yourself in your tracks when the emotional, you know, the warm wash of shame or, or, or fear or, you know, deep anxiety that you will spontaneously experience when something goes wrong or when you screw up um, and just pause it and, and say, um, you know, instead of going, oh, this is awful and I'm going to die, you say, oh, this is inconvenient, mm. right? Mm. <laughs> and mm. now what? Mm. What will I do differently? So it's it's learning to interrupt the spontaneous emotions and and do a little bit of reframing and reprogramming for the better health. Because the awful comes in. Like, you know, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going right. to lose my family. I'm going to lose my job. I'll lose my house. I'll lose my family. Right? It's goes. like, no, 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 no. Yeah. You know what? You're going to be late for a meeting. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And maybe there will be some people who are quite upset at you. That's okay. Yeah. You know, you'll so do you're your giving, best. giving people a, a framework here yeah. of to not just bunch all your failures yep. uh, in together as the world does and sees them as right. all failures are bad. But you want to get people to sort of say, no, no, take a more nuanced approach to this. Yeah. So the most important, I think the most important contribution of the book is that is the articulation of three kinds of failure. And only one of them is really is good, mm. you know, but all three are part of life. So we need to accept, the bad accept them all. <laughs> the others are kind of bad and ugly. But again, you know, you learn from the bad and ugly, too. You do. Um, and, you know, sort of good, bad and ugly. I like yeah. that. But the the, um, the let's start with the good kind. The good kind are, yes, caused by experiments in new territory in pursuit of a goal with good reason to believe you might be right. It might work. Yeah. Um, and. They are not wastefully large, right? They're as, they're as small as possible. And that describes a well-done scientific experiment. That describes you know, a blind date that a friend of a friend thought you might like, right? I mean, it describes many things in, in life and in work, but it doesn't describe everything. Yeah. 
And then the, the other two kinds, which are you know bad and ugly, there, there are basic failures which are caused by error. It, there was a formula that you could have followed to get the result you wanted, you know, a recipe for that cake, but you made an error and substituted salt for sugar and yeah. the cake was awful, yeah. right? And um, so that's a failure that could have been prevented and you know, with a little bit of vigilance and attention would but have been, one. but it's a basic yeah. one. And some, you know, that's a small failure, bad cake, but there also are many, you know, major failures in aviation, in, in science, you know, where, um, wasn't that it was a good experiment that turned out to be wrong. It was you did a, you mixed up the chemicals because they were mislabeled mm. and got the wrong result and yeah. that didn't teach us anything new at all. Yeah. So that's a basic failure. It's not it's still worth learning from, but it's not um, it's not a source of new knowledge and yeah. progress. And then complex failures are multi-causal. They're the perfect storm. They're the kinds of failures that happen when a handful of factors came together. Mm at just the same time and just the wrong way and led to a led to a failure. But it's interesting, I mean, like, when I read the book, what, what I actually sense when you talk about one specific one, and that's the, uh, the Boeing Max 737s, and the way the first one went down and the lessons weren't learned. And, yeah. you, you know, I just to kind of even quote, just reading, sorry, you know, yeah, at times please. I simply cannot bear the frequency of this recurring story. You say um, that it's maddeningly predictable. <laughs> and and you kind of, you know, I can grim familiarity. Like, this is culture. Right. And right. this is culture going badly wrong and causing a catastrophic. Yes. Um, uh, with cause of life and, and all that. But it's happening again and again. So my question to you is, What's going on with leaders and organizations that they haven't figured this out? Why are we so stupid, right? Why are we so Why are we so able to repeat the same essential nature of the failures again and again and again? And I think the answer lies in some aspects of human nature. I mean, cognitively, like we all know the confirmation bias, yeah. where we're more likely to see what we expect to see than mm -hmm. what's really there, mm -hmm. especially if we have strong views about it. Yeah. Um, uh, from a group or interpersonal perspective, um, people are quite reluctant to speak up if mm -hmm. they see something wrong, but especially those with power or authority seem to think all is well. It's like mm -hmm. very hard to say, but, but, but wait, this plane, you know, it doesn't seem safe to me. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then finally, culturally, we are trained from a very early age um, to want to be right, to want to succeed, mm. to, to um, downplay and devalue failure, to see failure as bad. You know, and and something to be avoided at all costs, or bar barring that, just don't let anyone know that mm. you that you've failed. So you know, preserve your reputation, even if you know privately that you've um, failed at something. And those come together to lead the, the the Boeing story to be all too predictable and mm. all too familiar, mm. because essentially what you had, and Boeing is operating in a high pressure environment where they they believed themselves to be facing real-time pressure in terms of launching a new product because of competitive dynamics because yeah. airbus had a new plane um, that looked very appealing on many levels so they felt they didn't have time to 
you know, start from scratch and do this quite the right way. Um, but I mean, they didn't think they were doing it the wrong way. They just thought, let's take an existing viable, you know, a workhorse, the 737, mm. magnificent plane, and we'll just stretch it a little. Well, that changes the aerodynamics a little. Ooh, we noticed that. Okay, so we're gonna develop some software um, that, that um, helps compensate for some of the weird aerodynamics. But then we don't really want to uh, have our, our airline customers have to, you know, go through expensive and lengthy retraining for their pilots. So we sort of downplay, and we I think genuinely believe it's downplayable, mm. that no, this plane, it flies, it flies just like the other one, but, you know, and especially because the MCAS kind of kick in on their own. Mm. Oops, but they kick in on their own a little too vigorously at times, and no one told them. Anyway, so, I mean, there's plenty of... Um, sort of um, dubious uh, imperfections uh, uh, along, along the way, but it's, ultimate, and it's ultimately the perfect storm. And I do, I do point out, you know, because I, I, you know, I wanted to trace that one back, yeah. that when, when kind of the, the, the beginning of the story is a couple of decades ago when McDonnell Douglas and Boeing supposedly merged, but really, in a sense, the ethos of, of McDonnell Douglas took over the C-suite, you know, and they so were- So Boeing was more engineering. Boeing was more engineering and McDonald's design and, the, and you know, the executives were, you know, in the factory and in mm -hmm. the lab mm -hmm. every other day. And, and whereas McDonnell Douglas was more, just culturally, historically, had been more steeped in finance and accounting. Mm -hmm. And that, unfortunately, that right. culture took over and they decided to move headquarters from Seattle near the actual engineers all the way to Chicago, where there's no longer that easy camaraderie and coordination, right? No one would have thought, oh, let's do this and have it result in fatal accidents. So people get to the top of organizations. Yeah. Hopefully you'd imagine because they're smart, right? But so, like, even you talk about risk aversion, you know, that they don't yeah. realize that yeah. if you build an organization with a culture of risk aversion, you're actually going to get more mistakes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's um, either paradoxical or ironic or both. Mm. You know, the, the more we the more we have people who are risk averse, which makes them then risk averse interpersonally, the more we are setting ourselves up for bigger risks, mm. you know, and, and, and bigger, more consequential yeah. failures. I'm just wondering, is it insecurity with leaders? Because I, I always yeah, remember there was a time be. where um, I actually thought, you know, the key of life was being right, right. all the time. Right. Suddenly that moment came in my life where I suddenly went, actually, you know something? It's great to be wrong. Now and again. Right, right. <laughs> and actually, because you get yourself into trouble being going around as that cocky kind of person right. who's been right all the time. And the most important reason why you get yourself in trouble is that no one will tell. They begin to pick up on the fact that you believe you you're know. right, you know yeah. you're right, and you're the boss. So the last thing I want to do is is kind of disagree with you and say, no, you might be wrong here. Like, what's in it for me? Huh? Mm. You know. So, mm. and then so you you get no disconfirming data, so you become mm. more and more walled off from yeah. thinking again yeah and you know the rest is history i, I, I remember so, even somebody i knew they they kept on saying as a manager any good news for me yeah which what they were basically saying was i don't want to hear right. any bad news right. and they and didn't exactly know they you. were saying they didn't know they were saying that right? correct they thought the they message. were saying i'm interested in you and I'm enthusiastic about what you do. Yeah. But the message they were actually sending was, don't bring me bad news. So when you, let's say, consult with a, an organization, right, and you see 
the culture is uh, it's all about sort of yeah. playing culture yeah. and oh, all yeah, that yeah. sort of stuff. What, what, what things? Because there are people listening to this and they're kind of going, okay, you know, get the book, read the book, yeah. get it, understand it, want to refocus our organization. Um, what are the key things they need to do? <laughs> well, here, I'm going to, um, I'll be flippant for a moment, mm, but I'm going to say, here's the formula. Aim high, team up, fail well, learn fast, repeat. That's the formula, okay. right? Okay. But now let's let's break it down a little because um, in, in a way, I, it's not that the people who get promoted are not clever and capable. They are. Yeah. It's that they may not always be systems thinkers. Okay. Right? They're not always thinking about, they're very here and now, <laughs> and they're not always thinking, wait a minute, if... If I do and say this now, that might come back to haunt us later. Mm. Um, so it's 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 partly that discipline to sort of step back and think. You know, if I'm saying to people now, any good news for mm. me, mm. that might you know signal uh, later. Uh, that might that might lead them to be reluctant. So I often start with you know I'll will ask a group of executives to um, um, to check their ratios. Then they think I mean the finance stuff, and I say no no no. Check your ratios. How much of what you are hearing in a given week is, you know, good news, green versus bad, it, progress versus problems, mm -hmm. all is well versus we need help, you know, success versus failure. So let's call those the green and the red. Yeah. And if your weekly intake is mostly green, or God forbid, entirely green, you probably have a problem, mm -hmm. right? Because you're, you're operating in a volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world. There is no way that everything's green <laughs> in the industry you yeah. operate. It's like things are going wrong. Unfortunately, you're not hearing about it. Mm. So, and you know, often when I'll just do that simple little, you know, red green, they'll I'll see the eyebrows go up. I mean, I'll mm. see people really realizing, you know, I'm happier when I'm only hearing good news, but I'm actually worse off. Yeah. And so you have to train yourself to train yourself to flip that upside down, right? To sort of say, when I'm hearing only green, I must force myself to be unhappy, not happy. And that the response to that, yeah. isn't it? When people actually do put up the hand and say, actually, yeah. we could have a problem here. How you respond yeah. to that is critical. Oh, exactly. So the three, you know, I say that the sort of the three things you must do as a leader to build a learning environment and a learning organization is be absolutely clear about the nature of the work and the challenges that you face, that you have taken on, meaning you, the organization. Mm -hmm. um, you know, describe the, the, the VUCA world that, that we live in. Um, talk about how challenging and meaningful it is that we can provide these products or services to customers. Right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to give people a rationale for why it's worth the effort to kind of lean in to all of this complexity and challenge and to speak up. Then you are inviting people in, you're asking good questions, you're creating systems and structures that, that require people to share their insights, to share their questions. You're trying to have and hold very high quality conversations, mm. fact-based, rational conversations. And then how you respond. Yeah. Right? How you respond to the red is the most important thing you do as a leader. And so you have to train yourself not to have your natural human automatic response, <laughs> yeah. which is, how the, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and instead to say, thank you for that clear line of sight. It's that pause, isn't it? Who, somebody in the book Mullally, is talking about pause. Right? Yeah. Thank, yeah, first pause. Yeah. Larry Wilson talking about pause. Stop, challenge, choose. But 
thank you for that clear line of sight. How can we help? Mm. Right. So it's a you know, so aim high is let's be ambitious. Let's say why it matters. Let's have purposeful mm. missions and mm. work. Then, wow, that's hard. We can't do it alone. We're going to have to team up. And then if we team up, especially across boundaries, things will go wrong. Yeah. So let's learn fast. Yeah. Repeat. I'm just interested, you know, cultures around the world. Some will take this on better than others. I don't know. Maybe you probably know more about it than I do, but Japanese culture, you know, this idea of losing face and the like. Yeah. Like, is that something that's going to be hard for them to sort of... I point you to Exhibit A, Toyota. (laughs) Yes, I saw that. Yeah. And and, and Exhibit A, I don't mean literally, but (laughs) figuratively, um, Toyota is a magnificent culture and learning organization. And it doesn't do it by being, it hasn't built in sort of Japanese-ness into, it's almost the opposite. But because what they have built in is a culture where everyone is willing to pull a cord if they even suspect there's a problem, Mm -hmm. where people are willing to ask for help, where people are rewarded for finding problems. Um, And, you know, so where the red Mm -hmm. is good, the red is a treasure. And, and so, um, it's brilliant what they've done. It took a lot of effort. It led to enormous value. Mm. And you have to pause to reflect on the fact that much of that is is almost quintessentially not Japanese. Yeah. Now, do Toyota employees sort of then leave man. work at the end of the day and go back to their communities and act in weird ways? Probably not. Mm. They probably go back to their communities and know exactly how to behave. So you don't have to violate or... Um, you know, be be disrespectful of your cultural yeah. norms in your society or country, um, but you do have to figure out what cultural norms do we need inside these four walls to produce excellence. Mm. I think it's interesting. This isn't just for organizations. No, this, book, this is for people. No, it's for this families. is for everybody. It's, <laughs> like, it's for everyone. You mentioned the family yeah. a lot. Yeah. So I mean, like. Yeah. The, well, just think, you know, I, I did a lot of healthcare, a lot of research in healthcare delivery and became quite fascinated by the relatively new, meaning 20 years ago, policy in some organizations of blameless reporting. Like, mm-hmm. we need you to speak up yeah. so we can learn and prevent problems and yeah. so forth. And then I thought, well, that's a thing for families, too. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you really want your, especially teenage children, yeah. to speak up when they have a problem. They're in a situation they can't handle. They don't know what to do. And they will automatically assume... A, parents don't want to hear about it. They want me to be perfect and always make good decisions and get straight A's, right? So I, mm. I can't ask them. No, no, no. Like you, you want to make sure there is a um, an absolute, you know, no questions asked, you know, I need a ride home sort of policy mm. Mm. Um, in, for, for safety. And, and, <laughs> and again, you know, it, it strikes me at the speech that you made. One of the questions from the audience was about suicide mm. uh, of people. Mm. It's... it's it's so sad. It's tragic. And I just terrifying. really wonder, because then one yeah. of the books you recommended was on perfectionism. Yeah. And and this link between that and human fallibility. I mean, yeah. maybe you could talk into that a little bit, because I just think it's so, so important. Yeah. Well, you know, the big, the big mistake we make, really, is thinking we're not supposed to make mistakes, mm. or we're not supposed to be fallible. Um, and a psychiatrist I met years ago at, at the job I used to have, Maxie Maltzby, he, he said, we're fallible human beings. You know, each and every mm. one of us mm. even abbreviated that FHB, right? Yeah. And, you know, the more I heard him say it, the more I thought, okay, that's not so bad, right? Yeah, I, yeah it's true, right? I'm a fallible human being, yeah. so are you. Absolutely. Get over it, right? Yeah. Now let's go have some fun. Yeah. Um, and, and so 
You know, I think the kids, and, and it's this was all of those conversations I was having years ago were well before there was a such thing as social media, let alone the internet. It, it, it was, um, and so the plot thickens, you know, the challenge is greater yeah. to, for today's young people. And it was hard for us, sure. <laughs> but it's really hard uh, today because you're seeing stylized, curated glimpses into other people's perfect yeah. lives, yeah. Yeah. which are not true, but your brain and your amygdala are telling you they are true. But the education system, I also think, is, oh, is yeah. flawed because what it does yeah. from a very early age is it, it puts you into competition with people, yep. which is not what you need no. for life. You life is about collaboration. Yeah. You know? I mean, aim high, team up. Right. Yeah, yeah. right. And we learn that the, you know, the student on my left and the student on my right is, is the competitor, is the enemy, not is the collaborator, is mm. my friend. Yeah. Right? And, and that, that, that exact thing, because when you talk about the... Um, the airline pilots and the like, uh, who it was presumed the research would show that they, oh, when yeah. they got tired, right, they'd right. make more mistakes, but it was actually counter. No, well, that's not the case. The individuals made more mistakes, yeah. but those who were in intact teams who had gotten to know each other's you know, strengths and weaknesses were able to compensate for each other. So I see you make a mistake, I'll tell you, hey, you well, know. Yep. You catch it for me, yeah. I'll catch you. The right, time. exactly. And that idea, I think, and, and so, I mean, that's one of the things at the core of what you're about is that, that ability to make yeah. teams work yeah. better. So, yeah, because teams have the ability to compensate for our individual shortcomings yeah. or gaps. You know, I'm, I'm good at this, but I'm not good at that, but you're good at that. So. Yeah, I mean, Ultimate the whole synergy. idea of a team is instead of divide and conquer, it's like, let's come together and figure it out. Yeah, because I remember um, at a, a, an organization, their C-suite, their senior team, basically, were all sort of individually doing their own thing right. and taking responsibility for their own areas um, because the bonus system was based Ugh. on their own areas. Right. But then they changed right. the bonus system. And suddenly now I was actually quite concerned if your area wasn't operating, oh, yes. I'd dig in because yes. it's my bonus on the line. Yes, and I call Jeez. that mutual accountability, right? You Perfect. were, I can't just lecture you and say, why don't you take mutual accountability with your team? Okay, thanks very much. Yeah. But no, but if I suddenly, if the bonus system suddenly is one in which you will not do well if I'm dropping the ball, okay, you're gonna help me. But if the bonus system was one in which every time I drop the ball, you get more money, you're gonna, practically kick that ball out of my Absolutely, path. yeah. So just, you also mentioned in the book, uh, this kind of, the, the biggest challenge, I suppose, you come up with leaders, where they turn around and they kind of go, okay, so if I say failure is okay, if I have right. a psychologically safe environment, that's like, performance yeah. is just gonna drop right. the standards. I right. should go for high standards right. and, you know, let's make no mistakes. I say, How do you kind of answer that? Yeah, I, I, I say you have to convert that from an either or mental model, which mm. is understandable, I know where it came from, to a both-and mm. mental model, which is, in fact, your job as a leader is indeed to convey and inspire high standards. Mm. Right? You want people to want to work hard in service of your customers and to convey and enable a learning environment yeah. where there's honesty, where yeah. there's sharing, where there's teaming, you know, and, and so you need psychological safety and high standards. Mm -hmm. And in that upper right-hand quadrant where you have both psychological safety and high standards is where learning happens, where high performance happens, where innovation happens, where, you know, where, so 
it's not, we tend to, I mean, I honestly do think they, there's a taken for granted belief that these, this is a trade-off. You know, yeah. I can either go for psychological safety or high standards yeah. and say, no, no, no. It's two leadership tasks, neither of which is easy, both of which are critical. In, in the book, one, I was fascinated because I just hadn't considered it, but about minorities. Yeah. And the, the yeah. situation that exists for them is harder. Yes, and the very def—I mean—the definition of being a minority is you're not in the majority. Yeah. Right? You're, you're, you might be an only, you might be just a part of a smaller group, and so what happens is you're more at risk for being um, for for your behavior being then generalized to other people from your group, mm -hmm. right? So if if you're a minority in the organization and you have a big failure, um, you may be you will be worried that you will be um, harming other people in in the same group that you're in. Um, and so it's an unequal mm. license to mm. fail. It's interesting. And on top of that, you also differentiate between psychological safety and belonging. Yes. Because again, because you yeah. were asked the question earlier about right. inclusion right. there. I thought that was interesting yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, so all three things, you know, psychological safety, inclusion and belonging are, are terms with formal definitions mm. uh, that are different. Right? You know, be belonging means I, I really feel that I belong here. I, I, I feel a, a full part, a full member of this community. Um, and inclusion is I'm included in the important decisions or activities around here. And psychological safety is I believe that I can speak up directly and forthrightly and take risks. Um, and so those are three different concepts. But in practice, they will have a lot of overlap because the more I believe I can lean in and speak up directly, um, the more sort of I, I'm, I'm likely to be and feel included. Um, and ultimately, if a lot of bad things don't happen as a result of what I say and do, I do start to have a sense that I belong here. Two final questions. So the two groups I'd love you to talk to. Number one is um, the, the individual employee who is actually not feeling Mm -hmm. that they're in a psychologically safe yeah. environment. And oftentimes it can be a toxic manager or the like that they're, they're really struggling with. How, yeah. What advice do you give to them? Well, you know, first of all, I want to, I want to make sure that I'm clear that there is, there is a line beyond which you should not have to tolerate. I mean, if, if, there's, sure. if there's genuine you know, bullying or yeah. um, harassment or, or, or worse, um, you need to get help. You need to report yeah. that. You need to, you know, find yourself into another yeah. position or find them <laughs> into another position um, outside the organization, preferably. Um, but, but um, that's the. I mean, I think that's not the typical situation. The typical situation is that you've got an ineffective manager mm. who is inadvertently conveying that either he or she doesn't want to hear from you or that you're not measuring up or that, you know, they don't want to hear bad news, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, certainly it's, it's, um, it's a shame that they're not yet as good at, at their job as they could be. Mm -hmm. So have a little compassion okay. for them. I know that's hard. Very generous. <laughs> um, but but more, more generally, um, more often than not, the problems you're experiencing can be improved by by taking the courageous step of, of having an honest conversation mm. about the experience you're having, right? So it's not, it's not, you never say, hey, you are bad and you're making me uncomfortable or whatever. What you say instead is, um, I'm worried about X, right? I, I, I worry that, um, 
in our team. We're not um, we're not sharing some of the you know really unusual ideas. Like I don't I'm not hearing unusual ideas from the team, so I'm worried about that. Like I'm just making this up. Sure. But you you know you 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 have to be a little bit courageous. No one will come along with a magic wand, and try to talk honestly about the impact. Yeah. The impact of, let's say, the environment on your ability to do spectacular work, because yeah. that's—it's ultimately—it's all about the work. And if you can, you know, and jot down some of your thoughts about what really is sort of blocking your ability to shine, and share that from an I perspective, mm -hmm. um, more often than not, you can start to influence and create a more positive. Uh, culture. Yeah, because I think have. most people want to perform well. Yeah. So the final group then of it would be the leaders of organizations. Yeah. So what, what's your big ask of those yeah. people right now to do things differently that will get a different result and will be yeah. better? First and foremost, call attention to uncertainty and, and you know, fallibility, your okay. own and the systems that you're leading, okay. right? Just kind of make it clear that you know all will not automatically be well. Right. It's mm -hmm. kind of it's like Ben Berman, the airline captain, who says, I've never flown a perfect flight. I yeah. need to hear from you. You're essentially yeah. saying the analogous message, which is we are in a complicated, ambitious market space where anything can happen. Roll up your sleeves, everybody. We need Life you. Life is uncertain. Right? Yeah. So you're really <laughs> calling attention to context yeah. in, a, in a thoughtful an inspiring way. Mm. Second, you are inviting voice, you're asking good questions of your team, you're helping the organization put structures and systems in place that ensure that we do things like after action reviews or brainstorming meetings or, you know, you're making sure that um, voice is enabled because it's yeah. not spontaneous by humans ever. Yeah. And then finally, really monitor your response. Bad news is even more valuable than good. You can imagine that like 95% of what's going on is going as it should, mm -hmm. but that doesn't help you very much at the top, right? You should just, that's good, right? Yeah. But it's the 5% where you actually want to know it because you have the opportunity then to, Great to, to make the heads things up better. Business yeah, before it's too late. That's where your leverage comes. That's where yeah. your influence comes, yeah. is knowing about those problems and helping people organize themselves to find the solution to those problems. Yeah. Not from just sitting back and, you know, celebrating the fact of all the successes. Yeah. Well, I really hope that people will be inspired. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure they are. Like, I mean, for your work in psychological safety, uh, that's just stunning and brilliant. And it's, it's changed people's lives. And wow. that's the impact that's made a difference. And then this book on top of it, I think, weaves in beautifully psychological safety in, a, in a, such a smart way. <laughs> and uh, I think it, it gives people a license to talk about failure. Yes, yes. Now, hey, like, let's read the book and let's talk about failure. That's right? it. Absolutely. You know? And what kind of failure was that? Was it basic? Was it complex? Was and, it intelligent? And let's um, learn to do intelligent yeah. Uh, yeah. failing well. Lovely. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you so much, John. What a joy it was to meet Amy and to listen to her thoughts and learn from her vast array of knowledge on this most important topic. Next up on the Work Healthy podcast, we discuss meditation and mindfulness with a former monk. It's a really interesting subject to get your head around. And until next time, mind yourself and remember, work healthy.